Hello, Tabernacle. Welcome. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors, and I'm glad that you're with us. Um, You know, I was thinking there's certain things in life that are inevitable, that you're just headed towards it, and there's no getting away from it. It's inevitable that the sun's going to rise in the morning, and it'll set at night. It's inevitable that if you live in Michigan, right when you think winter is over, there'll be what I'm learning is called a false spring. And then second winter will set in and you need to take courage because then real spring comes and it's called mud. But those things are inevitable. It's inevitable that if you're in a store or listen to radio and a song comes on from Wang Chung, you're going to dance a little. You just are. You might dance all days, love. You don't know. That was a deep cut for those who are listening. Yeah. My wife and I made uh, some friends uh, two weeks ago. Uh, they were already friends, but we went deeper in our relationship. We stayed in their house for a couple days. And uh, um, the husband, the man of the house, um, was a Division I basketball, or is a Division I basketball coach. And um, uh, for those of you that don't know what that is, the Final Four is happening as we speak, <laughs> right? And you obviously don't care because you're here. But uh, I learned some things because he's been a Division I basketball coach for over 30 years that if you're uh, in that line of work, you're given two tickets to the Final Four. It's where they hold their convention, so all the D1 coaches uh, go to wherever that is, and they're a part of it. And so he was telling us that as soon as we left that they were going to be heading out to the Final Four. And then his wife piped up, and she explained something that has to do with inevitable, She said, you know, when uh, my husband first started, he took me to the very first Final Four we had tickets for, and we were way up in the nosebleed section. And the way those tickets are given away is based on seniority. And so she goes, every year, you just kind of move closer and closer to the floor. And I remember on the very first time I was there, I saw all these old guys on the front row. Some were in wheelchairs. And I asked my husband, who are those guys? And he was like, oh, those are the legends. They've got one foot in the grave. I said, wow, I didn't know that, you know, and I I thought it was pretty interesting. And uh, she said uh, to me, she said, John, we're in row six. (laughs) See, there's an inevitability. It's like it's coming. And yeah, for all of us. Well, in our story, if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn to Luke chapter 22, We're going to cover all this chapter. A lot of it we'll read, some of it we'll summarize. But the Son of God is facing the inevitability of the cross. That he came for this purpose, for this mission. Now those around him are still a bit confused. Those around him are, are, you know, that are really close to him are kind of, how do we avoid the trouble? How do we avoid the cross? But Jesus, Scripture says his face was set towards the cross. It's set like flint. He knows what's coming. There's an inevitability to it. And in these next few moments and in the next two weeks, we're just going to cover all the details. Usually it seems we get to the Easter season and we hurry up and get to the cross and the resurrection and we move on to here's five things to help your life or three ways to avoid tax. No, we don't preach that here. But we thought this time we, we would sit with it because there's a lot that we can Learn And chapter 22 has a lot of detail, dense detail that I think as a follower of Jesus, a lover of Jesus, right? Someone that worships him and serves him, we ought to know the same way we meticulously go over the details of the last day of Lincoln or of 
Kennedy or any of these earthly guys that are nowhere near as important as Jesus was. So with that in mind, with this inevitability, let's look at Luke chapter 22 and uh, let's see what there might be in there for us. It says, now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was of the number of the 12. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Judas was one of the 12. Let's not forget that. He was chosen to be one of the 12. He was chosen to be in the inner circle. If scripture is true, he was chosen to preach the gospel. Remember, Jesus sent the 12 out two by two. They were given power to cast out demons and heal the sick and to prepare the way. Judas was one of them. We don't know a lot about Judas, except that there's very little dialogue between he and Jesus. But he saw the miracles. He saw lepers healed, the blind given their sight. He saw the storms calmed. Jesus walk on water, raise the dead. He saw all of that. The little dialogue we do have, and it's in John 12 and 13. Uh, uh, he's rebuked one time. Remember, there was a woman who anointed Jesus' feet with some very expensive perfume and and Judas spoke up pretending to care about the poor. And he's like, shouldn't we have given this money to the poor? And if you look it up, it says that Jesus rebuked him and said, no, this woman's done something good for me. And in parentheses, John tells us that Judas only said this because he was greedy and he was a thief. He used to keep the money bags and help himself to it. And so we have a number of the 12 who's looking for a chance to betray the Son of God. What happens next in the story is this Passover feast. And, and Jesus has one of these other Jedi moments where he tells two of his disciples, go into the city and you'll find a guy carrying water and ask him, where's the upper room? It's pretty cool. And that's exactly how it hap- happens. And, and we get the idea that Jesus wanted to have a private, secretive dinner. He didn't want the crowds. It was his last night. In fact, the Gospel of John spend, spends three, four chapters talking about everything that happened at this Passover. This is where he instituted the Lord's Supper. This is where uh, after the meal, he took bread and he broke it and he said, take, this is my body, which is given for you. And then he took the cup and said, this is the new covenant of my blood. And they're still kind of confused. They know something heavy is about to happen, but they don't know everything. And if you look down in verse 21, it's right after the institution of the Lord's Supper that it says, but behold, this is Jesus talking, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the son of man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. There's the inevitable. Did you catch it? Jesus knew why he was there and he knew that he was going to be betrayed and he knew that he had to be betrayed and he had to go to the cross. But let's don't get any silly ideas that Judas was forced into it 
or that there was some second hope for him because it says, woe to the man by whom he's betrayed. It says, and they begin to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. Now, I've tried to imagine sitting there at that table and, and Jesus has just said, one of you is going to betray me. Again, it says in John that it was, you know, that he actually gave this detail, the one who shares this bowl with me. Now, I, I don't think in, in that moment, he and Judas shared like a secretive little glimpse because they were all sharing the same bowl. But it does say that Jesus turned to Judas privately and said, what you're about to do, do quickly. Get it over with. Do you guys feel the weight? There's a weight, there's an inevitability that he's going to the cross. Verse 24, it says that a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Here we go again, right? Here we go again with these lot. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table, but I am among you as the one who serves? Now, let's think about that this week. Jesus is essentially teaching them about humility again, but the picture that we have is Jesus is serving the meal. I never caught that before this week. He's been eating with them, but then he's the one that gets up and brings the food. He's serving them, and they're arguing about who's the greatest. He goes on to say, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you as my, as my father assigned to me a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And then he turns to Peter and he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. It's heavy. It's heavy. And I don't want to sit in judgment of guys like Peter because I know I can be exactly like that. In fact, I'm exactly like Peter. Not knowing the future, not knowing what's around the corner. Jesus gives him this ominous, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Satan has asked to test you. You see, let's not forget that Satan can't do anything without permission. So even going back to that moment where it said Satan entered Judas, it doesn't mean that Judas didn't invite him in. It means now he was fully under control of what was about to happen. And here, apparently Satan has asked to test Peter. But Jesus says, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, meaning when you do fail, that you'll be able to teach others from your failure. Did you catch that tabernacle? 
Peter has no idea. And he's like, ah, not me. All the, in fact, it says in the other gospels, he said, all these other guys will fall away. Not me. I'm Peter. I'm the oldest. I'm the rock. I'm strong. Look at me. And he says, before the night's over, you'll deny three times that you even know me. Jesus knows what's coming. He knows what's coming. And then there was a discussion about what they should have. And he reminded them of the time he sent them out. And he'd sent them out, if you remember, two by two. And he'd said, don't take a knapsack or extra money or extra, don't take a sword. Don't take anything. Just go out in faith. Now he gives this foreboding message. Now you need to be prepared, he says. If you don't have a knapsack, get one. If you got some extra pocket change, keep it. If you don't have a sword, get a sword. Darkness is about to fall. And the disciples are like, you know, 100% second amendment because they're like, oh, we got two swords. Is that enough? And he's like, you guys don't get what I'm talking about. Verse 39 says, and he came out and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd and the man called Judas, one of the 12 was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too was a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, The rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, 
how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council, and they said, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe, and if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, are you the son of God then? And he said to them, you say that I am. Then they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. Now I know that last section was a longer bit of verses than we'd normally read all in a row, but I just felt like there were so many details. And as we are followers of Christ, as we are disciples, as we call ourselves Christians, this is our King, this is our Savior, this is our God. There's no wasted words. There's no wasted words here. We get this picture, we go back through that last little section of him in the garden. And he tells them, listen, we're here to pray. And I need you to pray that you won't fall into temptation. And it says, he went about a stone's throw beyond them. Now, this is where I stop with my, you know, getting on the disciples. Because, you know, they had the argument about the greatest. But my whole life, it's always like, couldn't they stay awake? Maybe it's because I'm a night owl. Those of you that wake up in the morning, I don't get you. I'm a guy that can power through. True story. Once I missed a flight and, and I, I was scheduled to, to preach at this tabernacle on a Sunday morning and I was stuck in Chicago and, and I wasn't going to make it. And, I, and so I rented a car, drove all night and, and got up here and preached three services with no sleep. And no, I didn't even swear. It was, it was true. So I don't give the disciples a hard time about this lack of sleep, but there, were, there was something in here that I got. You know, this is where Jesus is begging God, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. But he's also submitting. He's saying, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. There was such grief and sorrow and dread in our Lord that heaven decided he needed an angel to appear and minister to him. Did you catch that? And the disciples saw it because they record it for us. I don't know what the angel said. I don't know what the angel did. Maybe the angel was just there to be with him, to reassure him. It says, in being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, I, I might butcher this, but I looked it up. There is a condition called hematidrosis. Is that how you say it? Or hematidrosis? Where you can be in such agony and dread and stress that your sweat will produce blood droplets. That's, it's rare, but it's a scientific fact. Now, was he suffering from that? Or as it says in the ESV, was his sweat in agony like drops of blood? Either way, don't get mixed up in all that detail, but rest on this. The agony was for you. The agony was for me, it was for us. This isn't a measure of how tough Jesus can be, knowing about the beating and the flogging and the abuse and the crucifixion and the death. 
That's not what the agony was. The agony was to face that for me and for you. If there be any other way, the submission was not just to God, it was because he knew that's the only way I could be his friend and I could be forgiven. It says, when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples, and this struck me, and he found them sleeping for sorrow. So I had to go and, okay, what's that about? See, I just thought they, they, that they were weak links that couldn't stay up. Sleeping for sorrow means they were picking up on the sorrow of Jesus. The heaviness of the night. They saw him praying and weeping the drops of sweat like blood or literal blood. They saw the angel. They knew something really bad was about to happen. They fell asleep from exhaustion from being sad. That's what it means when it says sleeping for sorrow. They're just, it's like they cried themselves to sleep. You guys with me? Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray. And then comes Judas to betray the son of man, the son of God with a kiss. Disciples go into action. Luke records that they got those swords out. The engagement team went into full play there. One of them hacked off somebody's ear. That was Peter, by the way. He was trying to keep his name out of the press. But it was Peter. The Lord told him to stop. And Can you imagine being that guard? Church history says his name was Malchus. To have been struck with a sword. I mean, that's pretty aggressive. And then in the middle of the shock and the pain and the screaming and the blood and all of a sudden, oh, thank you. And now I need to arrest you anyways. And then we get to the courtyard where they drag him away and Peter's question. He's trying to be incognito. What are they going to do with Jesus? And just like Jesus said three times, he denies he even knows the man. You know, I had the privilege years ago to be on a missions trip in Europe. We were in Denmark and uh, we were touring an old castle that was full of all of these old paintings on our day off before we came home. And they were great, like classical, realistic paintings from way back. My two favorite paintings, and I don't know the painter, and I wish I did because I'd buy prints of them. They were two matching ones. One was a picture of this scene of Jesus in the house of the high priest, his last night on earth, his longest night on earth. And they've already beaten him, and they're all surrounding him, and you can tell it's the Son of God. And then the very next painting right across this doorway, I won't forget it. It's like you're looking into the courtyard, and you see Jesus, but in the foreground, there's people sitting around a fire, and one of them's Peter, and it's night, and as you look in the trials, the same painting, the Son of God is looking right at Peter, right through the hallway of that courtyard, and the way the artist did it, is why I tell you this story, the way the artist painted this painting, no matter where you are in the room, Jesus is looking right at you. Pick up what I'm laying down there. 
When I sin, I deny that I know Jesus. When I choose not to love people, I deny that I know Jesus. When I mistreat my wife, I deny that I know Jesus. When I choose the low way instead of his way, I deny that I even know Jesus. We're just like Peter. And sometimes we're just like Judas. The rest of the night, Jesus spent being beaten and mocked, blasphemed. Till finally in the morning, the priest took time to actually question him. And they ask him this question, are you the son of God? And he answered, you say that I am. And just like this pulpit spoke of last week, Jesus was not crucified for the miracles he performed. He was crucified because he preached the gospel that he was the son of God. That's why they killed him. That's why we killed him. So that's chapter 22. I was trying to think, what what is the one thing? What's the one takeaway besides all of these details? And this is a weird message. It makes sense in my head. I hope it makes sense to you. I'm, I'm trusting God's spirit. The one message that jumped out to me is the word stay. Stay. What's the lesson from chapter 22? Stay. Stay. Stay means to remain in the same place, state, or position. And when I say stay, I don't mean don't grow, don't become more like Jesus, don't grow in your faith or your walk with Christ, don't grow as a person. That's not what I'm talking about. But look at all the characters. They had an opportunity to stay. Judas was with Jesus, but he didn't stay faithful. He didn't stay loyal. He didn't stay true. He betrayed him. I don't know if it could have been different. I don't know. But he was closer to Jesus physically than any of us. But he didn't stay. He wasn't faithful. He didn't stay true. When I look at the conversation that Jesus had with Peter, Hey, look, man, it's going to be tough. You guys are going to need knapsacks. You're going to need swords. It's going to be dark. You're going to be persecuted. And he he starts talking big. Whatever happens, the apocalypse, the return of the pandemic, everyone else may leave at the tabernacle, but not me. Was he any different? He didn't stay. I mean, I give him credit. The other disciples ran and he at least followed, but but he, he, he couldn't stay consistent. With, yes, I am from Galilee. Yes, I was with him. Yes, he is my rabbi. For fear, he didn't stay. I think about the disciples arguing as Jesus is facing all this anguish and he's instituting the Lord's Supper, communion. And he's like, guys, I need you to remember this. And they're like, okay, okay, thanks, Jesus. You know, I think I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom. No way, man. It's going to be. They're arguing about this. How many times, I mean, I've lost track as you read the gospels, how many times they argue about who's going to be the greatest and whose moms are coming up to try to get Jesus to admit that her sons will be the greatest. He has to teach him again. Okay, we've got to take a time out and talk about humility again. But you know what? The church in 2022, we're the same way. He says, stay humble, stay low, 
You see, when pride pops off, we start dividing. There's an implication here. And if you look at the high priestly prayer that he prays for them that's recorded word for word in John, part of the stay humble and stay low is also this message, stay together. Stay together. You need each other. Remember in the book of John, he says, Lord, I pray that they would be one just as you and I are one. The whole world's going to know that they're mine by the way that they love one another. Would you help them stay one? You guys stay together. You see this message I keep coming back to? Stay. Stay. Don't run for fear. Don't run because you're bored. Don't run because somebody may have hurt your feelings. Stay. He tells them to stay prepared. Pray that you won't fall into temptation. It's coming. You see, it wasn't just Peter that was asked to be sifted like wheat. All of them were sifted like wheat. Church, some of us right now feel like you are being sifted like wheat. Your faith is being tested. And all the temptation says, do it the world's way or that this is a big waste of time. And I just feel like God's saying right now, stay. Stay prepared. In the garden, he said, can you stay awake? How many Christians have fallen asleep? They've either fallen asleep with complacency, worship's not a priority, neither is community, neither is church, or they've fallen asleep because they're so involved in politics, they've forgotten about the kingdom of God. They think they're advancing the kingdom, but they forgot that his kingdom is not of this world. They've gone asleep. Worshiping the Caesars. Taking back America again. I would sacrifice America on an altar right now if the gospel could go to the four corners of the world. Wow, I just said that. And I love my country. Stay awake. He says, stay strong. Stay strong. Stay the course. Jesus promised, in this world, you will have trials and temptations. In this world, you will have trouble. He promised, in this world, you will be persecuted. Will you stay with me? Stay. You know, there was only one in the story that stayed faithful, that stayed true, that stayed humble, Prepared, awake, strong, and stayed the course to the very end. And it was the one who was beaten and mocked and scorned all night long. All his friends had abandoned him. The one closest to him, the one he put in charge, had denied he even knew him three times. Stay. feel like the Lord wants us to stay the course as a church. I don't know how many times we'll be having a conversation, should we do this or should we do that? And then, oh, there's the fear comes up or the worry or what if this blows up? And we always find ourselves saying, you know what? That's not what got us here. We're going to keep doing the things that got us here. No matter how big or crazy it gets, we're just going to stay the course. Are you with me? I know there's people among us that have just started out in faith and 
And hard times are going to come. You know, at the beginning, it's, it's euphoric. You know, you feel freedom. I've been forgiven and things are going great with my wife. I went to the marriage conference. I went to the man retreat. And then you come back and you find out that the same jacked up dude that went on men's retreat is the same jacked up dude that came back, <laughs> right? He just got a little encouragement, and a little pat on the butt. Stay true, stay strong, stay faithful. You know, there's some of us, it's easy to think that, well, you know, the, the, the big days of my growth were behind me, and now I'm kind of in this lethargic place. Don't go asleep, stay awake, stay together, stay strong. You know, there's this great book by a man named Eugene Peterson that for some reason just keeps coming back to mind. I probably mentioned it before. I haven't even read the book, but I love the title. Title is called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. You know what another way of saying that is? Stay. Stay. You're sitting in a marriage right now and you're like, is it over? As far as it's up to you, stay. Weather the storm. Hang on for a second. You're wondering if that kid of yours has a demon. No, he's just six. Don't lose it yet. Just stay. Hang on. Hang on. Most of all, we stay with Jesus. Scripture says that we might deny, he'll stay. We might forsake, he'll stay. We might be faithless, he'll be faithful, he'll stay. You with me? That's what we're called to do. That's who we're called to be. And the only way we can do this is because Jesus went all the way to the cross. Because he died a sinner's death so that this sinner didn't have to. That he paid the price for you and I all the way to the grave and all the way to the resurrection. And as he said, he sits at the right hand of the throne of the power of God. Do you believe that, church? One day that promise is yours, that you'll be there too, that you'll be glorified and you'll see him as he is. No matter where you are, no matter what all the ups and downs have, when it gets tough, when you're sitting by the fire and the girl looks at you and says, surely you were with him. Don't run in fear. Stay. Yes, I was. Yes, I am. I'm going to invite the band to come and sing for us. Lead us in worship, but uh, if you would bow your heads with me. If, uh, if God has spoken to you in some way through his word, by his example, my hope and prayer is that you've been encouraged. If in reading this story, you, you've, you've felt like a Judas or you felt like a Peter who's denying, that's not the point. The point is to encourage us. It's not to fill us with fear. But for us to see the example of the hero of this story, who is the son of God. The one who's full of love and grace and forgiveness for us. The one who agonized and chose to stay. To stay on that path all the way to my salvation. God, I thank you, I praise you, we worship you, we adore you, 
We're not worthy of you. We never will be. But you make us worthy because of the sacrifice of your son. God, I pray that you would encourage us to perseverance. And no matter what inevitable countdown we face, we can't stop that, but we can choose to stay true, stay awake, stay low, and to follow you, Jesus. And God, as always, I pray if there's one here that doesn't know you, that they would choose to follow you this very night, that they would become a child of God, made possible by the death, burial, and resurrection of the Son of God. And it's in his name we pray, Jesus Christ. Amen.